Hi everyone, this is Mariana with a quick announcement. I know our first few episodes have been a bit awkward in the volume department. There have been some inconsistencies. I just wanted to say thank you for bearing with us so far. We are new to this podcasting thing and we're getting better along the way, I hope. So without further ado, and thank you for listening. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Conservation Chronicles. I'm Jonah, and back with me again is Mariana. Hi, everyone. I am really glad to be back, and I wanted to thank Camden for filling in on the Hawaiian Monk Seal episode for me. It was really entertaining. I loved it. Um, So thank you, Camden, for that. And yeah, I'm back. So what's new? What's new? So I wasn't in Patagonia, unfortunately. (laughs) Doing squirrel suit diving? (laughs) Yes. <laughs> but I, I was actually my sister's kid came to visit and we had a bunch of little adventures here in New Mexico uh, for a while. And it was really it was really a lot of fun because I haven't gotten out as much as I'd like to. So that kind of forced um, forced us out. We went camping, uh, rode a horse for the first time. That was really cool. Mm. And yeah, so that that was great. Just some family time. I always try to uh, make time for family at least once a summer um, if I can. It just depends on my field work, uh, which is now finally over. And at the moment, I've got nothing going on except for a couple of volunteer uh, volunteer positions I applied to. Um, I'm new to volunteering. I've I've never really liked volunteer before. <laughs> like I'm not a volunteer. Um, <laughs> your time is too valuable to volunteer yeah exactly. you're above volunteering is that what you're saying <laughs> I'm, just, I'm saying i'm poor i can't afford to volunteer <laughs> oh okay yeah. yeah but um but yeah so i'm i'm finally getting to volunteering and i'm actually really enjoying it so far i'm working for the nature center here in town and i'm gonna start with them um, I'm going to start with them in September, uh, doing classes with kids, with like elementary school kids. We're taking them out to Bandelier, the national monument over here, and we're going to show them bird banding and mist netting. Um, no way, that's yeah, awesome. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So that'll be cool. And my other volunteer job, I actually start tomorrow, and that's at the New Mexico Wildlife Center, and that's a rehabilitation center. And that'll be an interesting experience Ooh, because you get the inside scoop for our rehab episode. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> we have mm. we have strong opinions about rehabilitation, and we'll do an episode about that, and it'll, that that'll be a fun episode. Um, but I wanted to see what see how it works from the inside. So yeah, that's um, that's a cool opportunity to see what it's like. I've never done that. Yeah. So yeah. So, Jonah, you've been super busy, too. Yeah, I've been all over Hill and Dale. I uh, left North Dakota at the beginning of the month and went back to San Diego and visited family there. Got my worldly worldly possessions out of storage, put it all on my truck, um, and headed to Texas. I actually... Before I got to Texas, I stopped in southeastern Arizona 
and had an amazing several days of bird watching um, because it's the, there's like these sky islands down there and all these species from Mexico come up during the summer to breed. And so I saw like 30 new species in three days and wow. there's still more that I didn't see. Um, so it's it's like a it's a birding hotspot. Um, wow! Like birders know it, and it was just an amazing environment. Um, these like mesquite savannas out there were like I, I've just never seen an environment like that. It, I just expected to see like giant anteaters roaming around. It reminded me of something in like Argentina. Yeah. And um, saw my first bear since I left Maine and the Bear City. Oh, nice. Um, I haven't seen one since. Saw my first ringtail. Oh, nice. That was pretty cool. And like I said, tons of amazing birds, including a red, a rufous-capped warbler, which is really rare there. And I got to spend a lot of time with this this pair and their juvenile. So yeah, it was pretty cool. And then I just, a couple days ago, got to San Marcos, Texas, to my new home, um, where I'm going to be starting grad school next week. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. Lots of change. I San Marcos is a pretty nice town um, as far as an urban place goes. It has some pretty nice um, large like natural areas. I checked out one of them this morning, went bird watching and saw a handful of new birds as well. And um, th- there's like a lot of good natural spaces, um, I'm, I'm told, and I'm going to check out the others the rest of this week. So I'm excited about that and excited to continue rolling with my project and taking a couple classes. Yeah, so what what, um, what classes are you taking this semester? Um, I'm taking statistics and then some professional development course or something. I don't really know that much about it because it's just required for my, um, my assistantship, my teaching assistantship position um yeah and then my rest of my credits are just like for working on my project because i have to write a bunch of grants this fall so i just need that need that time to work on those right yeah crazy yeah Yeah. um well good luck with that i'm sure you'll get funded it sounds like awesome work so um we will see yeah. It could all just be for nothing. <laughs> I just moved here and then the project just falls through. That's a possibility. <laughs> no way, no way. So since we've both been so busy, we haven't really had a chance. We haven't had a chance to research a new topic for an episode, but we didn't want to have such a huge gap between episodes because we know um, we haven't put anything out for a few weeks. So we just decided that we wanted to kind of share some anecdotes and stories related to our experiences and, and what's on our mind and, and our field work. Um, but most importantly, you know, in addition to maybe some entertaining stories or something, uh, we wanted to kind of share some lessons that we've learned in our short careers um, and to just show that, like, you know, we're always growing, both personally and professionally. And I, I personally want wanted to kind of cover this kind of thing because it's really easy, especially as wildlife professionals. And that's what we're really going to be, you know, we're going to be approaching um, 
what we're going to discuss from our point of view as wildlife professionals, it's, it's really easy to forget that we can learn and grow in, in everything and every little thing. And, and, you know, every day brings its challenges and it's good to approach them as opportunities for growth. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I, I sometimes find when I'm in the field, I get used to, or I, I fall into a routine. Well, um, I fall into a routine where I feel like I know what I'm doing. I'm good at what I'm doing. Um, I'm fulfilling my duties really well. And you start to get really comfortable with that. And you sometimes you can get overconfident and you'll make a mistake and it can really throw you if you don't stay humble and just remember to take things slow. Remember that you don't know everything and that you'll, you will always be learning uh, as you go along. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that I'm the same way. And especially I'm like, I definitely in every career that someone is in, you're always learning something, but I feel like in wildlife, it's like when you become a, a, a wildlife professional, you're basically a lifelong learner because not only are, is the purpose of your career to learn more about wildlife, um, but also you just are growing personally in, in every little thing. And especially when you're working different jobs and there's just, I feel like there's a lot more diversity of challenges in our field compared to the, the average career, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, definitely. As you move from one project to another, there's a lot of problem solving involved. There's a lot of first experiences involved. So um, you have to be quick on your feet a lot. So it's it definitely opens you up to uh, to learning, as you said, continually. And you just never stop learning, which I'm excited about. I, I'm glad I chose a career that I will continue to grow in and that I don't feel like I need to retire from ever. I mean, who knows how I'll feel when I'm 60, but. <laughs> <laughs> I've grown enough. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's a career where I'm not looking forward to retirement. You know, it's not like, oh, I'm just going to trudge along until I retire. It's just, it's a vocation and um, I'm I'm willing to enter it for life and keep on learning until the day I die. Mm. Could be on the job, who knows? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I imagine like if I, how I like, not I imagine how I'll die, but like I imagine the ridiculous ways I could die in my job. Yeah. <laughs> and like, I, I actually want it to be something ridiculous <laughs> so that people could like, like afterwards be like, well, <laughs> that's typical. Something yeah. stupid that he did or <laughs> something bad. He always had bad luck and this happened. Yeah, yeah. So speaking of, I think we could start off with some practical lessons from the field. Um, not that this would get us killed. Well, it could, I guess. Who knows? <laughs> if you drove into like a sinkhole that brought you to the core of the earth. But I think something that is going to continue to happen for the rest of our lives in the field is getting our vehicles stuck. And that's yes. something that every field person can relate to, I think. Oh, my gosh, yes. And we could probably tell innumerable stories about getting stuck. I think I can tell innumerable stories because I remember every time I've gotten a vehicle stuck um, because I don't know if it's just me, but for some reason I 
I, I seem to remember the worst of experiences and circumstances more than the best. Um, like those are just what stick with me and I laugh about them now, but you know, I, do I remember like every bear or lion or bighorn sheep or something that I've handled? Like, no, it, those are just all a blur. Like, um, there's a couple here, things here and there, but like I can, I can tell you a story of every single time I've gotten stuck <laughs> and it's, uh, it's, mis- it's a type of mistake that we will always make forever. And I guess that has to do with us. You know, we are working in different environments sometimes. So you're not, you know, you're learning the area, but we also just become overconfident in our driving skills. You should, you should just tell your story because um, I think it's funny because even though it didn't happen to me, I always remember this story. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So this was back in the summer of 2014 when we were on the bear study uh, up in South Central Maine. Uh, for for college so i'm i was driving through the backwoods i can't even remember the exact location where this was but it was really muddy and it was my first time on this particular route so i've got my gps of course so that it's easy to find the site that way um most times and riding along riding along and i it's gorgeous outside outside of course it's you know summer in Maine it's real verdant and pretty and you've got moss everywhere and I see this patch of moss ahead of me and I thought it was solid but (laughs) it was not starts every story of a vehicle getting stuck yeah (laughs) it was not solid so as I'm expecting to drive over the moss I drive into it instead and suddenly find myself knee deep in a huge puddle of mud. It's just real thick, almost like just... Not even like a puddle. I know the hole. It's a hole. Like I know where you got stuck. (laughs) It was like a sinkhole. Yeah, a puddle puddle is not does not describe it well. Okay, this was a sinkhole, which makes it even <laughs> worse that I just drove right into it because <laughs> I was not paying much attention. Um, so I drive right into it. Um, m- most of the ATV is now in the mud. It's almost up to the tire, up to the top of the tires. My knees are in the mud. I'm a small person, so I am almost entirely in the mud. And my first thought is just no. Like that disbelief, like when you first get stuck, like, nah, no. always. <laughs> it's like, no, nah, this is not, this is not happening. And this is not just happened. Um, <laughs> so that was my first thought was no way. And then my second thought was, oh my gosh, how am I going to get this ATV? Cause it's, those are, they're like 500 pounds, those ATVs. And it's like, how am I going to get this ATV out of the mud? So I panic. And I, I think I called or texted someone. I can't remember because uh, I was concerned that I wouldn't get to the trap site in time. Because if there's a bear there, we want to be, um, we want to get there in, in a certain amount of time because it's hot out there in in summer in Maine. So I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, what am I going to do? How am I going to get this thing out? And I try the engine. I'm like, that's stupid. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna end up digging it further in if I try, if I try, if I try that or ruining the engine. So I remembered finally, and this is the thing about when you get stuck in, in situations like this is 
you have to keep your cool. You have to, you know, you have to stay calm. And then you'll remember the, the training you went through beforehand. Because that's the thing about good training. If you're trained well before you go into a situation, um, when your adrenaline kicks up, uh, what you'll remember the most in that situation are the simple trainings that you received early, earlier, are those, are those simple things. So I calmed down and I remembered about the winch on, on the front of the ATV. And I'm looking around and there are no like robust trees. They're all like saplings. There are some hardwoods. I mean, well, saplings and young trees. There are some young trees as well. And I, I just didn't know what I was going to attach the winch to. And finally, I just chose, um, I think it was like a, a birch or something. It was a young tree. Um, it was almost as small as a sapling. I can't remember what it was. But so I attached the winch to that. And I can't remember. There was like a separate button. I can't remember exactly how it worked. But I would press that button and just like kind of ease, ease the ATV out. Um, and the whole time the tree is like bending, bending, bending. And I'm like, no, <laughs> don't, don't snap. <laughs> it's like, because I had to get out of there. That's another thing is it, I was deep enough into the woods that help would not have come at a reasonable amount of time. Like you remember the bear study, we'd go deep into those woods. And so I knew I couldn't depend on help. And I was also just embarrassed. I was so embarrassed. It's like, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe I drove into a pit of mud that everybody probably knows about. Um, so anyway, so I managed to get the ATV out um, and I carefully sort of rode it around the pit. Um, it was pretty precarious, but I but I um, I, I managed to get it out. And um, yeah, it, it took about half an hour to get myself out of the mud. The first five minutes of that half an hour were just me despairing, just like, oh my gosh, like, what am I going to do? It's the end of the world. The sky is falling. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is the worst mistake ever. And and then you go through this, I don't know if, if this happens to you, but to me, I go through this like, oh my God, I'm like, I'm so incompetent and I'm so stupid and I, I just suck at my job. Um, but that's just part of like the panic mode um, before you calm down and get your head straight. Uh, but yes, it took me about half an hour to get out of there and... What's important are the lessons I learned from it. First of which is that a fast vehicle doesn't always require speed. And this is really important for when you have to drive vehicles um, while you're doing your field job. Just because it's fast doesn't mean you have to go really fast. I was going too fast. I didn't give myself enough time to really look at the spot that I was driving in when I thought I was driving over it. Um, I just saw moss and assumed... It was like moss on rocks or something um, because I was going too fast. So ATVs can pick up a lot of speed, but they don't need to. They're just there. We use them to get from point A to point B faster than walking, of course, um, and more efficiently when you have a trap line out. But that was the first lesson I, I, earned, I learned really important. And after that, I was a much better ATV driver um, after learning that lesson. So, yes, take it slow and questionable terrain. And when you're frustrated, uh, scared, or at a loss, um, try to quickly get calm and think problem solving. Um, that's, that's the most important thing, um, especially when you have, say, an animal that could potentially be in a trap that's, that's counting on you to get there. Uh, you want to you immediately think problem solving 
And yeah, be prepared for anything when you're in the field, especially when you're by yourself. You know, it, it's safer to work um, with a field mate when you're out um, doing field work, but sometimes a field mate isn't required. And so you're often alone when you're doing field work. So you have to prepare for that. Um, just pretend you don't even have a way to contact anyone else. Pretend you don't even have a phone or pretend you don't have signal when you're out there and just be prepared for any contingencies, make a plan, um, just know what could go wrong before it goes wrong so that you can deal with it um, ahead of time. So those were, I mean, those are definitely the lessons I learned from that one, from that one experience. Um, and yeah, it was embarrassing, but, um, <laughs> and I'm pretty sure I got, I'm pretty sure everybody gave me a pretty hard time. A pretty hard time I'm pretty sure it. I was one of those people because that's how I remember it. Oh, and I so actually, annoyed. I think the reason that I remember it is because it's the only time that I can think of that I've been annoyed with you and that you were like openly annoyed with me. Yeah. Like, I think you're probably one of the few people in on this planet that I've encountered where I've been annoyed with someone like less than I can count on my yeah. one hand. <laughs> and that was one of the times. And I don't even, yeah. I don't even know why. I think I was just worried that the ATV might've gotten wrecked. Like gotten it got wrecked. too yeah, submerged. Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> I but remember. <laughs> I remember you came to the house and you were like, yeah, I got stuck. <laughs> and I, no, you snapped at me. <laughs> That's why I remember it. Cause you were like, well, we're all not as good of drivers as you, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I remember it, because that was I the only, like... I remember that, because I got, like, super defensive, because <laughs> you were annoyed, and I knew you were annoyed. Now we're laughing like, at it. I was like, God damn it, Jonah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that was one of the times. The second time you got annoyed with me was the car. Remember when I blew the tire on that truck? What? Yeah, yeah, it was the same summer. Oh, I don't remember being. Oh, upset you don't about remember that. that? Oh, okay, okay. Then I won't remind you. I didn't about even that. know you were the one that did it. I remember when <laughs> Kevin came back to yeah, yeah, and said yeah, that yeah. there was a okay. flat tire and he was going to go fix it. Or... Yeah, well, now, now you know it was me. <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, that that happens. Not all of us drive as well as you do, Jonah. <laughs> oh my gosh, the number of flat tires! I've had to change a f five flat tires in one day before. Oh my god! That has to do with the quality of the equipment you're working with. Yeah, yeah. No comment further on that. But yeah, that's funny. I didn't know that was you until now. <laughs> but I think I think you know th that was. I don't know why I would be annoyed. Like, it's not like oh, if it was the ATV was messed up, I was going to have to pay for yeah. it out of my own personal funds. But um, I think. I think uh, another important lesson is to remember that like we all make mistakes, something like that. Um, we've all done like, it, yeah, like yeah, I can't yeah. even, I can't even decide which vehicles getting stuck story to tell, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's happened way more times than I can, than I can count. Mm -hmm. um, especially <laughs> I think living in Zambia and Kafui national park helped, you know, up my number, I think in a couple months we got stuck like I stopped counting at 30 times. Oh my gosh. Cuz the the soil there is just crazy, but you just eventually you just learn like not it's not worth the risk anymore when you get stuck for um 
overnight <laughs> sometimes. Oh, my gosh. But a- anyways, the, ho- the whole point is that, you know, we all make mistakes in in the practical things, and that's part of learning. And, um, you know, it's easy for people that didn't make the mistakes, like myself, to be upset at the person that made the mistake, but we've all been there. Um, yeah, yep. And we've maybe inconvenienced people with our mistakes or, or whatever, but it, it's just part of life. And those are the lessons that you learn. So, okay. <laughs> so actually I was going to, I was going to mention this at, at the end, but um, I'll say it now. Um, one of the important things about also le- making mistakes is um, letting people know. So if I hadn't let anybody know, I mean, Say I couldn't have gotten my say I couldn't have gotten myself out of that mud pit if I hadn't let anybody know. Who knows how long I would have been stuck there? If there were a bear in a trap, I would have endangered the bear. Um, I could have endangered myself. Uh, I would have compromised a lot of things. So um, not only was I searching for help, like oh my god, rescue me, but <laughs> I also just needed to let everybody know that I had done that. Um, so. That's one of the also important lessons is when you make mistakes, um, make sure to let everybody on the team know. Um, it's it's We all make mistakes, and uh, the best way to solve a problem is to get as many heads in it as possible. Um, and you don't, you don't want to compromise yourself, your teammates, or the animals. Um, and, oh, and speaking of letting people know, uh, I'll, I'll talk about the time I bit into the jack in the pulpit. So <laughs> I don't even know what what is a jack in the pulpit. Oh, so a jack in the pulpit is like a marshy plant. Um, it looks like when it's in full, um, when it's fully grown, it's like it's one of those. Um, I I'm a, I'm not a botanist, excuse me, but it's one of those plants that look like a cup that like a fly might might go into, <laughs> like it's like filled with water. A, a carnivorous plant. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So um, that's what it looks like when it's fully grown. But when it's when it's um, when it's uh, budding and when it's got like seeds, there's a stage where it's got seeds, um, and it just it looks like a, a thin stalk with um, like a. I'll post a photo in the episode notes, but it's got like a little top with a, a bunch of seeds, a, a bunch of berries, I should say. Um, that grow on the top and they eventually mature to a real bright red color to attract herbivores. But humans are not supposed to feed on these (laughs) at all. And I didn't know. Humans aren't supposed to feed on these? (laughs) Like we're out foraging (laughs) on our hands and knees, feeding? (laughs) Communing with nature. So I was in Maine. Again, this is this happened in this happened in Wells, Maine. So it's a little bit farther south than South Central Maine. Uh, less, it's Southern Maine. Um, same year, 2014 was not a good year for me, um, or it was a good year for lessons at least. And I was working with uh, my PI, so my boss uh, Chuck, also my friend, um, gladly because uh, I've made a lot of mistakes with him. Uh, but we were flagging with ticks. We were on the Lyme disease survey study, and we were just flagging for ticks, which. For, for those who don't know, you take a, literally, it's a flag of um, preferably corduroy material because uh, it has more traction and you just drag it through tick habitat, which is basically everywhere. And although actually there's specific tick habitat, but anyway, uh, we can talk about that later. Um, so you drag it through and you pick up ticks because they're constantly questing, which is um, where they, they put their their feet up to grab onto whatever 
touches them. That's um, so anyway. So we're, we're flagging for ticks, which is one of the most boring things you could possibly do in the field. It is so mind numbing. I hope <laughs> Chuck doesn't listen to this. <laughs> I think he knows. <clears throat> I think <laughs> I think he knows. Well, <clears throat> having good company definitely makes a difference. Um, so I see this. I see this. The stock. Uh, this green plant with this green bunch of berries. Uh, they hadn't gotten gone red yet. If they were red, I would not have touched them. But they were green. So I'm like, oh, innocuous color. <laughs> right? What? So- I would never eat a green berry. That just looks <laughs> gross. I know. I know, but I wanted to taste it. So gladly, actually, gladly, I did not eat it. I, I picked one and I took a bite. I just took a bite of it. Like, and I just, I, I didn't even swallow it. I just took a bite. And it was, it was, it tasted like grass basically. And it was really gross. Um, but almost immediately, just a couple seconds later, I feel this stinging on my mouth, like my mouth and my tongue, it starts stinging. And I'm like, oh no, what is this? What's going on? What's happening? It's like, I've made a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and so I, I go to Chuck, who's, who's a few meters away on his, on his flag line. And I'm like, hey, Chuck, um, what is this? And I'm like pointing at the plant and he, and he comes walking over and he looks down and he's like, I'm like, what, what is that? And I think I said something like, is it edible? And he looks down at the plant and he looks down at me and he's like, you didn't eat that, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I might have taken a bite out of it and now my mouth is on fire. <laughs> so he oh like rushes God. me back to the truck, um, which isn't too far away, gladly. And like, he's just like, practically pouring water down my throat like it's just going everywhere but gladly i hadn't swallowed one um i had only bit into it and nothing bad happened to me uh it was just a stinging sensation and it comes from uh a chemical or a compound called oxalate wait is it oxalate yes ox oh calcium oxalate is what it's called so it's a compound and um uh, chemistry is not my strong suit um obviously. So it's, it's got these crystals, these microscopic crystals that I guess sting you. And, um, if you swallow it, it could cause respiratory issues. Like your, your throat could close up and, um, it can be really dangerous. So gladly I, I didn't actually swallow it. Uh, but the stinging on my, especially on my tongue, I knew this was going to happen. And when I talk about it, I can feel it. It's really weird. It's like this phantom feeling. Like when I talk about it, I can feel exactly where where my tongue stung for several weeks afterward. I can still feel it. It's really weird. Um, that's probably psychosomatic. But I'm going to look up a photo of these so I know not to eat yes, them. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're going to see the photo and be like, I would have known anyway not to eat that. What are you, what are you thinking? <laughs> so, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, so... It, it was an intermittent stinging for several weeks. And it this was probably my biggest or at least my most idiotic fieldwork fail I've ever had. Like it was this, the most stupid thing I've ever done. You do not bite into things in the field if you don't know what they are. Like you just don't do it. It's just such a like such an obvious thing most people it's just it's supposed to be intuition um you don't touch anything you don't know what it is you you certainly don't test if it's edible by putting it in your mouth 
Um, These actually look kind of sinister. I know. <laughs> These plants. I, I would like, not. I was, <laughs> I was surrounded by them too. They even I, like have their mouth open like, I dare ya. <laughs> <laughs> the pitcher like plant with the leaf over it looks like yes, a mouth. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So yeah. And that kind of also, that kind of also goes along with what I was saying about telling people when you've made a mistake. Um, I, I was immediately, of course, I I felt so stupid and I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I've done this. It, I'm like, I'm such an amateur. Oh my God. Um, but I had to tell Chuck, I had to ask him what it was. And just, I had to tell him like, Chuck, I bit into this berry. It was really stupid. My, but my, like my mouth is burning. What do I do? Like, um, so it's definitely not something that you hide like if you get that's another thing if you get injured which often occurs because of mistakes so they're often related but if you get injured you have to tell your field mate um so that they can help you deal with it so that's definitely one of another one of the the big lessons i learned i don't get injured often but when i do even if it's a mild injury and it doesn't seem serious i always tell my field mate um, first of all, so that they don't repeat whatever mistake I did, but also just that, so they're aware. You never know when, when you're in the field, you can get injured. Um, anything can happen. You can get dizzy. You might, you might be, uh, hurt worse than you think you are. And, um, down, you know, an hour later you'll pass out or, or anything could happen. So you should, you should always make sure your field mates know, um, when you've made a mistake or when you, when you've hurt yourself. And, um, I, I definitely never lived that down with chuck i <laughs> that was like i i think i have to say that you get injured or like have those kind of blunders more than me like i don't think i've ever really gotten hurt in the yeah. field like i don't know i don't know why yeah <laughs> not that i can think of off the top of my head um but like you said like telling people <laughs> i think that i always like <laughs> Well, I guess what I'm thinking of goes back to like getting a vehicle stuck. But I always, I, I always like, because of my pride, I wait yeah. to tell people until like it's absolutely necessary. <laughs> like it's getting dark out. I need to contact yeah. someone because I'm very stuck. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's always that, that, that time you give yourself like, okay, I don't want anybody to find out about this. Let me see if I can. Yeah. <laughs> And then, and then, like fifteen minutes after you alert someone, you get yourself unstuck on yes. your own. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> that always happens to me, which is just a lesson. I I don't know what kind of lesson that is. I'm just thinking of one time in particular in Wyoming, where I got terribly stuck in this snowdrift for four hours, and oh. I tried to walk for cell phone service, which you sh- like, you're told like, stay with the vehicle, you know. Yeah. <laughs> And I didn't because of my pride. <laughs> I just, because anyways, I would have had to like, the only way I could communicate is this spot device that like would have alerted USGS and like, I don't want them to get involved. I just wanted to call my oh, field yeah. mate back at camp. And anyways, just stay with the vehicle. <laughs> yes, <laughs> stay with the vehicle. Um, so yeah, that, that was um, another incident I had. And um, I have one more. Should I tell this one too? Uh, yeah, you should because I've never heard this one. Okay. And I'm super <laughs> this, interested. Yes. So this was the most recent one. This one ha- it happened last summer, July of 2017, um, on the Prairie Dog Study here in northern New Mexico. 
where I was monitoring, or actually I was more more just doing a survey of a post-plague colony of Gunnison's prairie dog up here. And I was on my own with this because the rest of the prairie dog team was finishing up their work at the primary site. And I was here at the secondary site that had been abandoned because of the plague. And I was just taking a survey, seeing how many survivors there were that year um, because we had babies. So I'm up there, I'm in my observation tower. And the, the my tower in particular was the highest one. So it's about three meters high, um, maybe, maybe 10 feet um, in the air on scaffolding on like construction scaffolding and it's like this uh, wooden box with a trap door so you have to you have to enter through the a trap door on the bottom of the tower so anyway uh it it takes a little bit of maneuvering and getting used to getting in and out of that tower especially when you have gear on you i was up there it was i think the middle of the day it was also the end of the season it was really hot. I didn't have any assistance. I didn't have a team with me. I was, it was extremely frustrating because I was trying to trap these dogs so that I could count them because I had to mark them. And I couldn't trap them because when prairie dogs live in really low, really low densities, when there are very few of them in a colony, they become hypersensitive to disturbances. They become hyper alert. I could not capture these dogs. And I was just, my morale was just way down. I mean, I was just that day. I was just like questioning my profession, questioning my sanity, like all, <laughs> all that stuff um, because I was alone. And so I, I go out to do a trap check. And as I'm exiting my tower, the first your first step is um, to to put your foot on the ladder type scaffolding. Um, and I've never missed this step ever, but I missed it. And I'm like ten feet up in the air. I missed it, and I'm just holding myself with my arms. And, <laughs> and my arms were not prepared for the weight of my body. <laughs> And I missed a step and I dropped like an anvil. I dropped so <laughs> fast. <laughs> I would, I'd, I'd never fallen from a height like that. And I, I, I felt so heavy with how fast I fell. I was like, oh my God. There's just like gravity just like a yanked on me. <laughs> a yanked on me. <laughs> I just, I didn't even make the first step. I, I fell straight from inside the tower. And I just like, I crumpled. Gladly, I didn't hurt myself. Except my arms were really sore because when I fell, like they just, they weren't expecting the jolt um, from when I was trying to hold myself up. But because... I, my morale had been so low and I was by myself and everything. When I fell, I like, I lay on the ground and I started crying. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I started crying because I just felt so frustrated. I was like, oh, of course, of course. This is my third year in this tower. And of course I would fall out on this particular day. Like, of course this would happen to me. Like this... The, the world hates me. The universe doesn't want me here. And I was just, I, I, I probably lay on the ground, laid on the ground for a couple minutes crying, um, just out of frustration. I wasn't hurt. Just out, I was like, God, like, this is the last thing I wanted to happen. Um, but actually, luckily, I, w I wasn't hurt because I was by myself, no signal whatsoever, two miles from the road um, with no, you know, 
no option but to either drive myself out depending on which leg i would have broken um or (laughs) or Or just lay there dead yeah (laughs) broke your neck that's a high fall just it was like to not anticipate that type of fall yeah exactly i was not ready for it at all i'm so lucky i fell foot first i have Um, to tell you that when in in the notes when you just like wrote the title of this story and you put all these other notes just to remind you of the story i didn't read further because just you writing the time i fell out of my tower was like i wanted to hear this story like i didn't want to read it first i wanted to hear it (laughs) And it's just so funny. I wish I could have seen it. I'm sorry. Oh my gosh! If I had it, if I could have had a camera on me, oh my gosh! It would, that it would have, have won hilarious. America's Funniest Home Videos. Do they still do they still give away like ten thousand dollars for that show? Oh, they probably do. Oh, that totally would have won. It totally would have won money. Um, but yeah, so that was it. Was it's funny now? Of course, at the time, I. I <laughs> Especially the minutes afterward where I'm just like in a fetal position crying in the middle of the field. Uh, That was also funny in retrospect, of course. Um, But the lesson there, of course, because there's always a lesson, is I had worked myself way too much. I was exhausted. I was alone. Um, I wasn't taking the breaks I was supposed to take. I had worked about 10 days without stopping in in the July heat. And I was tired. And when you're tired, you make more mistakes um, when you're exhausted. And I missed that step simply because my body was working differently because I was so tired. And yeah, that's definitely another lesson I learned. I definitely took a break after that. I took a couple of days off because I obviously needed rest, even though I didn't realize because you get in the zone, especially when you're trapping, like you just got to get this animal. You got to get this animal and you just get in the zone and you can be out there for days without even realizing it. You've missed meals. You're not drinking enough water and you're definitely not getting enough sleep. So, yeah, I recently in the past year, I've like realized that maybe I've realized like that you need to, you know, work isn't everything, even though like work is everything to me, but I have to, I have to live and function. And I had like a really close brush with death. Um, I had a hypoglycemic incident when I was in Zambia. Unfortunately, it was when I was headed into the city. Otherwise, I probably would have gone into a coma, the doctor told me. Oh, my gosh. Just because I hadn't eaten. And, like, like I used to be able to just go without eating. Um, like, people just knew that. Like, I, I, I you know, me on the Bear City, like, yeah. I would never stop. And yep. anyways, I guess it finally caught up with me or, or something. But. Ever since then, I've just realized, okay, one, eating is super important, um, obviously, because you have to eat to live. But also just, you know, I need to allow myself time to uh, relax and, like, you know, not be always so strung out on work. Even though I enjoy my work, I just realized that I went, and I'm, not, I'm, like, still early in my career, so it's I can't say, like, I went so hard for so long, but... I guess I've just learned early that I don't want to go so hard for so long because it. I've noticed the negative effects of my health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not by falling out of a tower, but. <laughs> well, in your case, it could have killed you, so. Yeah, that was pretty scary. Um, yeah. So make sure to eat, everyone, in yes. case you forget. <laughs> I don't think most people do, but. Right. <laughs> 
Yes. Um, well, I like hearing your stories because you're, I don't think I'm a very good storyteller. So oh, I, I think you are. I don't really have any stories that I wanted to tell because <laughs> I probably could think of some, but I just, I don't like when I tell stories. But anyways, well, how about we move on? So those were, those were like practical lessons yeah. that I think that I can definitely relate to, even though I haven't like, you know, experienced those exact things, but you know, so as, as field wildlife field people were, you know, learning practical lessons. And then we're also, we, or we should be rather growing as a scientist. And I think this is something that in my earlier years, like even in the bear study, I, I didn't really appreciate, I, you know, or or I didn't really think about that, you know, I want to grow as a scientist instead of back then I was just like, I want to do this field work. And, you know, more recently, especially as I'm having to not having to, but especially as I'm developing my stork project from scratch and having to think critically and write these grants and, you know, come up with a study design. It, I have to think, um, I have to grow as a scientist. I, you know, I have to get past the basics like, oh, we just want to tag these birds. Like, no, why do we want to tag these birds? Oh, for their conservation. Like, no, like, let's come up with a study design that allows us to, you know, look at the ecology of this, this, these wetland environments on a larger scale and use this species as a model and, and stuff like that. And I feel like in the past couple of years, I've grown as a scientist in that respect. And I think it has to do with, um, in <laughs> in the notes, I it's a typo. I wrote having mentos is key. <laughs> I, I meant mentors. <laughs> I gotta have, gotta have, gotta have those mentos for minty breath. <laughs> but I think it's because um, you know, as I've progressed in my career, I've worked under different people, and I've learned a lot from different people. I think the best mentor I ever had was. George Matula, and that was, you know, right off the bat. But I think having mentors is is key that, you know, you, you're not there. You can't do everything on your own. Um, you can't learn everything on your own. And an experienced person can provide just invaluable wisdom. Um, and I think both of us have had really great mentors in our lives. Yeah. Just from the, the positions we've worked in. And George was a common mentor Yep. Um, and Brent until the end. And, <laughs> um, and, you know, I think a good mentor, not I think, I know a good mentor wants you to succeed and they'll guide you towards success compared to, you know, like a, a someone you work for, a boss. You know, I hate that word. We both hate that word. Yeah, I know. Boss. Um, you know, a, a mentor will, will guide you toward success and they'll, and they'll do it in a way that helps you to grow and that, you know, isn't negative. And I think that's I think that's why George was the best mentor that we could have because he was um he was so good about he was just so kind or he is yeah. so kind. And he was also so experienced, but he was just so kind hearted and um his personality and his values and stuff made him a really great mentor and um every like all all the people i've worked for generally speaking have been great but there, there's just something about george that 
sets him apart. His character made him a good mentor, I think. Yeah. Oh, I totally agree. He was so supportive and he would, he would let you come up with your ideas and he would insert something here or there, but he would always be just super kind. Like he was just so nice. In his mind, he was probably thinking like, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard, (laughs) but they got to make mistakes just like I did. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I, I think we really got lucky with George with the bear study and everything. I mean, we learned so much under him. Um, and it was thanks to him that, that we had that opportunity. I also think in addition to having mentors, having peers, um, like peers in your field, like fellow wildlife peers or whatever career you're in, peers can really help you to grow because you, you know, you challenge each other as ideas you discuss issues and solutions and you learn together. And I think this, these type of peers are the ones that I've grown closest to. So I think of, as I was, you know, thinking about, um, you know, what to, uh, thinking about this area of this episode, I'm talking about peers. I just thought of how like you and Leon and I would always be, Leon was, one of our other friends in the bear city, we would always be in the office and like the conversations we had, even if we didn't agree with each other, but you know, we were challenging, challenging each other and like discussing issues. And I just feel like, um, you know, there's a, there's a select few people like you, Leon and Camden that I can really, you know, talk real issues and stuff with. And I just remember the, the conversations that the three of us would have in the office were, we're always just so great. And you guys are some of my closest friends. And I think, a lot of that has to do with, you know, we grew together in those, you know, in our school and our jobs and everything, but also just being, being able to discuss things with peers that way is, is super valuable, I think. Yeah, I think so too. Just being able to bounce off each other and learn from each other and not being alone in the experience of learning. Um, yeah, that's huge. There. Yeah, it's definitely, um, yeah, I think that definitely brought us all together. Um, yeah, and we didn't have to agree on everything all the better when we didn't agree because like you said we challenged each other and that was good especially at the stage we were at in our careers just learning undergraduate school being challenged is very important and i think this may be a news flash to some people but you know you haven't gotten or me or you or anyone we haven't gotten to where we are in our life all on our own um at least that's well that's my opinion, but I think that's also a fact. Um, You know, those close to us have helped us get there. And me personally, I can think of the very important people in my life that, that basically changed the trajectory of my life. For example, George, you know, with, Mm -hmm. without George, I would have never gotten to where I am now. I really attribute a lot of, um, a lot of that to him and to who I am and the lessons that I learned from him and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I think being able to lean on people and recognize that you're not uh, this lone ranger that is fighting it out on your own, I think is something that, especially as young people, it's it's something that we don't want to come to grips with or we don't, we don't want to acknowledge because, we, you know, we're young and I'm and charge my own life and I'm doing all this and like yeah you your work ethic and the quality of your work and all that 
has a lot to do with where you are, but you know, you couldn't have been there without the support of people in whatever capacity they supported you. Yeah, I definitely, I didn't get where I am on my own either. Um, George with the bear study taught me a lot, um, a whole lot. Uh, Brent who introduced me to squirrels and supported, (laughs) supported my crazy (laughs) squirrel study, which I think is actually still hanging in there by a thread. I don't know if it'll survive to another semester up at unity, but, um, but yeah, so yeah, I definitely wouldn't be there without them and without Chuck, who I mentioned earlier, um, who's rescued me from the Jack in the pulpit. Um, you literally <laughs> might not be there. <laughs> I literally might not be here. Um, um, so one sort of last thing that I kind of wanted to talk about that's been on my mind and I'm probably gonna be super disorganized with this, but I think it's, you know, following the theme of this episode that I think is sort of like being a lifelong learner. I've been thinking about, um, and again, this, this just doesn't apply. This doesn't only apply to people in the wildlife profession. I assume that most of our listeners are, you know, interested in nature. That's why they're listening to this. Yeah. So this, this would definitely apply to people that are interested in nature. Um, cause that's what I'm going to kind of be talking about. But, you know, I feel like, I've always had, I don't know how to explain it. Like this sounds stupid to say, like I've had my eyes on the stars, like (laughs) so stupid to say, but you know, like, you know, especially as a young biologist, like, oh, I want to work on this uh, lion project or this, you know, crazy large mammal project or, or whatever, like, you know, these, these almost seemingly unattainable field projects, like working on it with jaguars or you know, this, the sexy stuff. Right, yeah. Um, and I feel like lately, maybe it's because I've, you know, I have done some of the large mammal stuff and I just kind of became, not that it's not interesting, but I just became disenchanted with with parts of the way those projects go. But, you know, lately I've realized that the way that we look at the world influences you know what our vision the um the width of our vision is really influences a lot um if that makes sense so so for example because an example might help us make more sense so say you go into a forest if you only see a bear then you've basically missed the entire forest you know what i mean Mm -hmm. that's a whole system of things we can see and things that we can't see um, and you know, I, this quote that I've liked for years and it's not super profound or anything, but by Albert Einstein, he said, look deeper into nature and then you'll understand everything better. And I think that especially as biologists, we don't look deep enough, particularly because, you know, even if you're uh, to study ecology, you have to st- you know, know about the individual species. So you have to study the individual species. And then when we're studying the individual species, we get caught up in the individual individual species and forgetting about other things around those species, forgetting about the role that they play. And just, like I said, things we can see and things we can't see going on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think my, again, this is super corny, but my journey deeper into nature. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I think it kind of started with birding. And I also think it was really influenced by Dave Potter, who was oh. a professor at Unity College. Potter. Um, he's since retired. But like he, he was like the Sherlock. I told him when he at his retirement party that he was like the Sherlock Holmes of biology. Yes. And also I, this is like not even joking. This sounds really stupid, but reading the Sherlock Holmes books like actually helped, has helped me to be a better biologist and to like look closely at, more closely at things. Like Mm -hmm. it's really weird, but um, anyways, but Dave, I've, I told Dave that he's, he's like the Sherlock Holmes of biology because he's so observant. Yeah. And he's thinking about things that you wouldn't even be thinking about. And, and he's, he's thinking and seeing the ecosystem in a much deeper way than most people are. And that was really inspiring to me. And, and I didn't, I recognized at the time, but I haven't appreciated it as much until recently. Yeah. But, you know, starting him getting me into birding, it sort of opened up my senses to the, you know, the rest of nature. And, you know, that got me, then that got me into butterflies and other insects and plants, you know, this North Dakota on the prairie, like nerding out on those plants. <laughs> I mean, we were also doing plant work, like measuring plants, but I just, herbing instead of birding, it's called herbing where you're just like IDing plants. <laughs> uh-huh. um, <laughs> and it, you know, so just, I think it started with birding and it, my senses just were kind of opened up. Um, is this making sense at all? Yeah, no, totally. Yeah, it is. Um, and I, I'm going to get to a point that like I I really would like love if more people, especially people in our field, um, this the lesson that people could learn. But anyway, so uh, especially recently as I knew I was going to be moving to San Marcos and living in a an urban environment, which I've never done and I'm not used to. And really there's... There's natural areas around here, but there's nowhere within a reason, like a close driving distance where you can just like get out into the wilderness. And that's what I've always, that's kind of what I seek. You know, I seek roadless areas where there's no people, no sounds. I can just like, I can be unsafe out by myself off trail <laughs> somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and I realized that going like you know i just sort of had a negative attitude moving to an urban area but especially in the past couple of days being here i realized all this kind of stuff came up again where you know there's a lot going on here even though there's a i can hear the railroad and there's cars and people are going about their day but there's birds and obviously i'm into birds so that helps but you know there's birds like the urban birding here is really awesome mm-hmm. um and i was listening to a podcast on my way here um, shout out to the American Birding Podcast, which I just discovered and oh. like binge listened to. Um, oh, I'll have to check it out. It's it's pretty good, if especially if you're into birds. Mm-hmm. But they had an episode on urban birding, and this woman was talking about she lives in um, in Cleveland, Ohio, like in the heart of Cleveland, and that's where she does all her birding. Oh and wow! She was like encouraging people to. Bird, like draw a five mile um a circle with a five mile radius and like just bird within five miles of where you live and you'll just be blown away and i was really inspired by that and it kind of brought up 
these feelings again about how we don't, we just look at the surface and we don't really see what's going on underneath. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not saying that like, oh, urban life is the life for me. Like, <laughs> heck no. But I'm now I'm like, now that I've been thinking about this, I'm looking forward more to to being here and, you know, doing that. Like, I'm going to bird a five mile radius from here. And yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. And I'll get to know this place really well and all the little areas in the natural spaces rather than like, okay, I have to drive two hours to get out into the wilderness in some national park or something. Mm -hmm. So to maybe sort of bring it home, (laughs) this is super corny. (laughs) And our friends that are listening to this are probably going to laugh. But (laughs) as I was thinking about this, I thought of this poem that I, (laughs) because I secretly write poems. (laughs) Maybe this was when we were in that writing class that I wrote this. Oh, yeah, that writing class. I forgot. Bill, I forget what his last name was. Oh, he was so That was an interesting class. Yeah, Um, it was. That was a hilarious class. But maybe I wrote this then. I don't remember when, but it was sometime when I was in Maine. And it was about this particular um, pretty big chunk of woods, actually, like one of the biggest chunks of woods in our bear study area. Mm -hmm. And it's where we had the most success capturing bears. And even in my free time, I would go there just to like walk the roads because it just, you could get away and you could be out in the woods. Um, And the place was called Leonard Woods is what it was known as. And so I wrote this poem about Leonard Woods um, and it's an, it's going to be an award winner, (laughs) but I think it just gets apart, gets across the, um, the point that I'm trying to make about, you know, we're, we, our vision, our lenses are so small and, we're only looking at, um, we're not looking at enough and we're not looking deep enough, I think. And I think, like I said in the beginning of talking about this, we're lifelong learners, so we're never going to get as deep as we can. And I think that's the, the whole point of this poem. So <clears throat> without further ado, yes, I'm going to read this poem. This is not going to be a regular thing on this show, people. <laughs> okay, so it's called Leonard because that's the name of Leonard Woods is the name of the the forest there so my world is large i cross continents and waters by land and by sky i see mountains and forests the rivers the seas yet i know not these lands for they are deep deeper than a thousand years can reveal and there is leonard just a blip on a map his twitches and brooks the ponds the stand his corners are mapped in my mind so i think but he is deep deeper than a thousand years can reveal Then I zoom, zoom to the flow where the beavers keep work, the engineer in his home, his pond, his dam, but it is deep, deeper than a thousand years can reveal. Who inhabits the flow? More than I see, make their home up the dam. There are otters and turtles, the dragons, the trout, and that is deep, deep as all go in a thousand years. On the shores of the pond are the softwoods amixed, riches and wonders I supposedly see, the moose and the bear, no midges, no ants. I feel the depth and for a thousand years search. But wait, so easy to miss are Leonard's ditches and pools. My wheels will destroy what I'm too blind to see. Here live leopards and snappers, the pupa, the swallowtails. There seems no depth, so a thousand years wasted. Leonard's a friend, I believe, when I leave. But a friend with great secrets is hardly a friend. For what of his ponds and shores, the ditches, the pools, can I ever know in a thousand years? The end. A 
friend with deep secrets is... How did it go? A friend with great secrets is hardly a friend. I like that line. That's true. Like, you have to really know um, a place, a site. You have to really know it to to really... Yeah, you can befriend it. Um, I think that's a good word for it. Um, yeah. Yeah, and I think Leonard I like Woods, that. you know, for both of us, we got to know that really well, but... Mm-hmm. We got to know bear trapping there really well. Um, yeah, exactly. and maybe that's what I maybe this this whole idea of like uh, you know our vision. Maybe that's sort of when it started coming up when I wrote this poem. When I was there, it, it was probably I think you know I think it was when after we had graduated and I returned to Maine in the winter of 2016, and I started mm-hmm. going for walks there because it wasn't far from where I lived and. Yeah, I think that's when I just realized, like, because I wasn't trapping bears when I was at at that time in 2016. And I just was thinking, like, I spent so much time in here trapping bears, but that's all I did here. Um, You know, I would go on walks sometimes, but we were very, we had a purpose there and we were very on a one track mind, which is, which, you know, we have to be like that in our jobs. Because that's what we're there for. We're there to do a, get a specific job done. And I'm not like encouraging um, like, oh, daydreaming and like, you know, wasting <laughs> milk in the clock. Like, oh, so you can look at things yeah. while you're working and getting paid. But I just think that I don't know if it even has any like professional. Well, I, it does for biologists, but like it's not going to if. What am I trying to say? I think that we can get a lot more out of our lives and out of um, where we're working and we can grow as biologists and just think more critically if we, if we just have better vision about these things. And that's, and I'm not saying like, Oh, you have to get into insects and butterflies or birds or whatever. But I think just thinking about these things, like I read when I was in North Dakota, I read that the ants there turn over the soil turn over like the first meter of soil or or something like that every hundred years, which is amazing. Like, and that's all going on um, within our lifetime under our feet. And we don't even know that it's happening. Like I I just wanted to, I just feel like I want to be in honey. I shrunk the kids and just get down there and, and see it happening. Like, cause it's just so amazing to me. And there's just so much of that kind of stuff out there that we're just, we're walking on these trails or whatever and we don't even know that it's happening and without it happening we might not even you know be able to survive so yep it's the circle of life (laughs) (laughs) that's my profound discussion (laughs) what say you (laughs) no i like it i agree i mean no no species um whether it be flora or fauna uh, exists in a vacuum and there's, there are whole little worlds um, of energy being exchanged all around us. Um, that's It's happening all around us, under us, over us. Um, a lot of it is invisible to us, but I think it's also important to be aware of, of those things. Just to be aware of every detail of, of the ecosystem. And like you said, you don't have to know every species or, you know, study every insect, but it's important to know what kind of ecosystem and what kind of world the particular animal you may be studying lives in. And 
and that's just for the scientific purpose. And then, of course, to nurture the naturalists in ourselves, which I, I think is what you're trying to do, just just nurture that naturalist, um, being aware of, of, of the worlds you, you don't see or even the worlds you're just not looking at very often. Um, I think that also just really nurtures the, the spirit of the naturalist in us and, and does make us not only better biologists, but also just better people. So I, recently I was sitting with um, Neil Reddick, a cinematographer, a videographer that is well known. Um, if you don't know who he is, you should um, do some research on him because he has done really great work for conservation through his videography um, for species like uh, the Philippine eagle and um, the harpy eagle. But I had the honor of, of meeting with him and sitting with him as he was filming prairie dogs up at our study site um, for National Geographic. And on this particular day, the prairie dogs weren't doing much um, and we were filming the predators and we noticed a coyote that was hunting with a badger and it had it had come up to the badger uh, several times before the badger finally started following him almost as if he were soliciting the badger and then for um, those that don't know we, they hunt to hunt prairie dogs together sometimes that's a normal yes, thing yes yeah so um so they were yes <laughs> so they were hunting prairie dogs and it was just incredible to see it um it's to see it right in front of our eyes and uh, Neil had his camera on it and as we were just in enjoying what we were witnessing we were just really soaking it in um, and we were both in just in awe at what we were seeing and we were wondering um, you know how do you decode this communication um, that they're doing but as we're watching this, we're on a hill and they're quite far away. They're actually on the other side of the entrance road because our site is at an entrance station at the National Park here, the Valles Caldera National Park. And there were people driving in and out and there were people walking around and nobody was watching this badger and the coyote. Now, the badger, of course, is low in the grass and, and you can't really see it very well, but the coyote was right there and he, there were only probably um, 20 meters from the road. Oh, gosh. Um, they were quite close. And nobody was watching watching what was happening. And Neil commented on that. He just, he just made this comment, like, there's so much going on. There's so much happening around you, around us, that if we're not watching, we don't see it. There's a whole world happening and that really struck me because, um, as you were saying, if, if you're not watching, yes, um, a lot of times you won't see um, little, the little details, like the little microcosms, the uh, insects and such. But sometimes you won't even see things that are right in front of your face if you're not watching. Um, and I think it's important to, to realize that you're missing things and to look for them uh, because you, you might be walking past something really incredible, truly incredible, and you're not paying attention. Yeah, I think, so. unfortunately, just so many people are, are, and, you know, sometimes I'm not guiltless in this regard, um, our faces are behind our cell phones or our cameras or something. And, you mm -hmm. know, even if you were watching, well, <laughs> Neil was behind a camera, but 
Um, yeah. <laughs> I, sometimes I find that when I'm seeing some cool animal, I'm like, oh, I want to get photos of this. And then, and then like I'm trying to panic, take photos and the photos come out crappy. And I'm just, and then afterwards I'm like, why, like, why do I need to, why do I feel like I need to take photos? Why can't I just enjoy this really cool yeah. sighting? Like the first thing I think of is I need to get photos of this. Like, what do I have to prove to someone that I saw this? Like, no, <laughs> I feel like it's really easy for that to happen. I agree. Yeah, I've had moments like that too where I've, you know, quickly, of course, I don't have a a, a big camera anymore, but I've, I've quickly like taken out my phone or something like, oh, look at that baby prairie dog just sitting there being really cute and never like, what? I, sh- I should just sit here and watch him. Like, I don't need to take a picture Or this, of this. this phone is, <laughs> like, I'm going to zoom in. It's going to be super blurry on my phone camera. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to be a waste of time. I always like, do that. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, sometimes it is, it is, worth it to to just sit and and put the camera down and and watch um i've actually had several experiences where i've just sat and watched and made eye contact with the animal and when you make eye contact with the animal that's always i mean it's it never gets old it's always magical when you make eye contact so um you can't do that from behind a camera lens yeah i think i'm gonna give our listeners some homework Go outside. You can do this literally anywhere, maybe not in the street or on a sidewalk because people might think you're crazy, but just sit on the ground and watch what's going on around you like birds or whatever. And even ants, like sometimes this is so Mm -hmm. weird, but sometimes when I'm super stressed and I just feel overwhelmed, like I'll go and watch ants and it just calms me. Like there's first of all, they're just so amazing. And you have different species normally running around on the ground and just watching mm-hmm. the way that they work and the things they can do. It's just, I just, I feel like an ant <laughs> compared to like <laughs> oh, my little stress that I'm experiencing. Um, they, they just, they do really crazy stuff that goes mm-hmm. unappreciated. And here I am crying about something stupid normally and <laughs> Anyway, so I just go look at some ants and you'll, I, you, there's no way you won't enjoy it. Let me just say that. Yes, I agree. You see them doing really cool stuff. You can watch an ant carrying uh, the body of his fallen (laughs) comrade, like meters. I saw these ants. I didn't even know we had ants this big in the United States, but I, when I was home in San Diego, it was like almost as big as my thumb. There were two of them and they were fighting. Like it looked like something from the Amazon. It was, it was scary. Um, (laughs) But yeah, like you, I was just looking where I'm walking and I noticed those things and I just really Mm -hmm. like ants anyways. Yeah. So. No, I, I like that. I think that's a great assignment for our listeners. Um, It'll be good for them too. It'll be good for you. Yes. Well, those are our words of wisdom for the day, I think. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I think, again, the take home is that whether you're in the wildlife field or not, like, it's really good to recognize that we're lifelong learners. We're always learning. And you may be learning things you don't even realize you're learning. Yeah, we're always students of wildlife um forever a student so 
Yeah. Forever student, forever in debt. Because <laughs> <laughs> I am. That's a good last line. <laughs> like that. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. Well. Um, yes. So... We had a bit of an extended absence, but we'll be we're we've both settled um, a little bit more into our um, our next steps, and we will hopefully be uh, publishing these episodes more often. Um, so check out our Facebook page at Conservation Chronicles, our website at Podbean dot. <laughs> comes first, the Podbean. <laughs> Conservation Chronicles dot Podbean dot com. <laughs> Yes, thank you. We just need to pre-record this so we don't have to say it every time. <laughs> yeah. Um, and our Instagram page as well. Yeah. And and share our share the podcast with other people. Tell other people about it so other people could listen to our voices. Yes, yes. Do share. And um, you can also rate us. Um, give us five stars on your... I went on and gave us five stars. <laughs> That way we become more visible to more viewers. And um, yeah, so thank you for listening.